0: I'm Henry Standage, and you're listening to the Western Science Speaks podcast. For a number of low-income jobs, the topic of artificial intelligence, or robots, replacing human jobs is a threat that looms large, as humanity sits on the eve of the AI revolution. Our cars will soon be driverless. Our information exclusively digital? And as Dr. Dan Lazat comes on to the podcast to talk about, our medical decisions may soon be evaluated by automation. Here's our discussion where we examine the enormous upside that AI represents in Dan's research. You're in the business of helping people make decisions. Can you talk about what it is your lab does and what it aims to help with in the decision-making process?
1: First of all, my lab has a bunch of people in it who have different kinds of backgrounds. Um, Some of them have a health science kind of background, a medicine background. Some of them have a computer science background. Um, But as a group, we're always thinking about how can we use sources of data, um, especially sources of data that are currently untapped, to help people make better decisions, uh, often about the kind of health care that they want to receive and the kinds of things, the choices that they want to make to improve their health.
0: Can you take me through the mechanisms with which the AI that you're using is able to decipher whatever it's reading and make a diagnosis and then follow up with a treatment plan?
1: When I was in graduate school, I studied a part of artificial intelligence called reinforcement learning. And reinforcement learning is a bunch of techniques that are used to develop intelligent agents. And these are things that act in the world that make decisions to achieve long term goals that they may have. You could think like R2D2 or BB8. And those methods are really useful because they can take data that have decisions and then the outcomes of those decisions in them, and then they can use those data to help decide well, what's an optimal thing to do in different kinds of situations. Not just Optimal to do in the short term, but optimal to achieve like longer term goals, which is really important for healthcare. Uh, the things that the traditional AI methods do that aren't quite right for healthcare decision support are that they assume that you can measure the quality of a decision just with a single number, and um, they assume that everybody has the sort of same the same values, the same way of evaluating whether a decision is good or bad. So my team and i one of the things that we do is work on building methods that can take data that can then help people make decisions incorporating the values that they have and the trade-offs that are important to them about the different things that happen after they make that decision so like in a healthcare context that could be some of the outcomes could be about like reducing symptoms some of the outcomes could be about reducing side effects Everybody cares different amounts about these different outcomes after they make a decision. And so the methods that we use try to help people achieve their own long-term goals that are personal to them, to help them achieve the things that they care about individually.
0: How do you input that? Because that's something that's obviously incredibly subjective and personal. How do you input that into artificial intelligence? That's a great
1: question. So what the methods do that we have... They, they take data that have been collected that have sequences of decisions that people have made and then what happened to them and then other decisions and what happened to them. That can come from different places. It can come from clinical trials. It can come from electronic health records. If you think about like when you go to your doctor and you make a decision about to take a med, then that goes into a database and then you might see your doctor again later and then the sort of outcome of that would go into the database and so that's the sort of input. What the methods that we use, what they do, is consider that different kinds of people might have different priorities about the goals that they want. And rather than saying, okay, this is the single treatment that is going to be best for you, they will say instead, okay, here's a collection of treatments that might be appropriate. Here's a good one if you really care about getting your symptoms down. But the side effects might be worse. Here's one that is more appropriate if you're really worried about having bad side effects, but your symptoms might be a little bit worse. So it's about supporting decisions rather than making decisions for somebody else, and doing that in a way that uses what we know about how people respond to different treatments, but that doesn't decide ahead of time what should be most important in terms of outcome for the person who's making the decision. They, They make that choice. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Just
0: playing video games, you play like a my career mode. You can kind of choose whatever plan you want to make, and obviously that's all ran by artificial intelligence. And you have these priorities: winning, coaching. I guess it's kind of similar to what you're kind of inputting. I mean, obviously much less complex than what you're doing.
1: No, it's really related because there's sort of two, like there's two. Well, there's probably lots of different approaches that people take. One of them is to try to figure out, like ask some questions of the person and try to understand what's most important to them and then recommend a single decision. I'm personally more in favor of like, okay, here's a collection of decisions that might be okay. Here's how we expect them to all work. And then you make that choice in that way. So there's the first way that I just described is sometimes called preference solicitation. And there's value in that sometimes where you like try to figure out or try to help somebody figure out what's most important to them. But then the other way is to just say like, look, we got three treatments that are reasonable, here's kind of how we expect them to work for you, um, and then you know you make that decision about which one you want to go with. And the, the other part of this that I think is really important, and this is something that I've learned um, working more and more with um, my colleagues in, in family medicine and other departments in the med school, is shared decision making between doctors and patients is a really important and and a really beneficial thing when that's done properly. And so I'm always thinking when we build these tools, we want to do it in a way that makes those treatments, like the outcomes, understandable to the doc and to the patient together so that they can work together to come up with, with a good plan.
0: That kind of leads into my next question, which is asking whether this is a tool at the doctor's disposal. Or something right out of a dystopian future where it spits out, this is your medical plan. Sounds like you're talking more about, it. here's a catalog of things we can do for you. This is, it's up to you from here.
1: That's exactly right. And that's why I always, I try really, really hard to say that, always say that I study decision support. And the piece of decision support that I work on is the sort of data analysis methods piece. I know a little bit about human-computer interaction and in presenting information in useful ways. I know enough to know that if I want to have a really good tool, I need to bring in a collaborator who has that expertise in that area. And so I do often work with people in human-computer interaction who, who know how to present data in a way that's, uh, that's meaningful for people. But yeah, definitely not dystopian future, not robot doctors, um, I am, I'm a computer scientist and I'm a statistician and um, much as I would love to have a BPA in my home, um, for this project I really, I really care about connecting the data to the humans who are making the decisions.
0: Is that why you went into this field? Because uh, the old joke is back in the 20th century, if a player got injured, just, you know, just stick a bit of butter on his torn ACL and it'll, it'll, turn, <laughs> it'll turn out okay for him. Uh, and then obviously, as things have evolved, this dosage is becoming more individualized. And what you're talking about is quite a pronounced leap forward. And so what is it to you that interests you so much about taking medical data and putting it that direction?
1: I think we have so much more than we've ever had in the past in terms of like volume and, uh, and level of detail of this kind of data. And we have an opportunity to really use it in a way that helps us understand, helps us basically make better predictions about what's gonna happen to somebody when they take a treatment. It is challenging and there are lots of ways to do it wrong. Um, especially when you're using data that were collected for some other purpose. Like if you take data that were collected from routine care Doctors are making decisions about why treatments are given to different kinds of people. Um, and, for example, like, maybe one treatment is tends to be given to cases that are more challenging, or people who are worse off, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's another treatment that's given to people who are already doing pretty well. Well, that might make the first treatment look a lot worse than the second one because it's being applied in a population that are just sicker. Right? Mm-hmm. And this is uh, what we call confounding in epidemiology and other kinds of areas of study. So you have to be really careful when you take what we call observational data. These are data that are just sort of found in the environment that where the the uh, you don't have randomization, which I could talk about forever, but I won't. You have to be really careful that if you see a difference in treatment outcomes, that it's because of the difference in treatments, not because... One pop- the population who tends to get one treatment just generally does better than the population who gets a different treatment. Mm-hmm. So there's this you know, phrase that people throw around that correlation is not causation, which is not really the whole story. But the point is, you have to be really, really careful when you see these observational data that were collected for other purposes, like caring for people. You have to be so careful to make sure that you don't infer things about how the world works that aren't really true.
0: See, And so you're looking more specifically at spinal cord injuries, an area that I'm under the impression we haven't totally figured out what's going on with a lot of spinal cord injuries. It's a, it's a tough area of research in the body. Can you touch on that process of trying to figure why this area is uh, of such emphasis for you?
1: So this is a new project that just kicked off a little while ago with the uh, rehab folks at Parkwood Institute here in London who are fantastic. And they are so excited to work towards formalizing the kinds of treatments that they use for different kinds of patients that they have. Uh, and the reason for that is that every spinal cord injury is different. There are things that are the same from person to person, which is why you can have a discipline like physio, where like they learn, you know, kind of what to do in different kinds of situations. But it's really, really individualized. We we're talking about precision before, like these guys are precision everything all the time and they are really trying to figure out what is best for this patient who's right in front of me. That makes it really challenging to study how people care for physio patients, and then extrapolate it to other patients because they're doing so much of that individualization. So the first step in in collecting data that we could use with the methods that I kind of started describing is to get everybody who's working at the clinic to start using the same terminology about the treatment choices that they're making for their patients and to really articulate why they're choosing a particular pa- treatment for a particular patient at a particular time um, because they just do it naturally. Uh, but they as a group are really excited about um, formalizing defining what treatments are so that then they can start collecting these data. The data have this sequential aspect because physio is a long and hard road. Um, And then using that to learn what to do with new and different kinds of patients. So it's really exciting for me to be part of that project because they're at the early days. They don't have a lot of data yet and that's because they're being super careful about making sure that they're collecting something that's meaningful and something that's gonna generalize well. Um, but the fact that they care so much about really trying to make sure that everybody, by everybody, I mean all of the clinicians are learning from everybody's experience in the clinic as they go forward as a group to improve their patient care, I find that really like admirable and they're a great bunch of people and it's very exciting to be uh, at the beginning of that project with them.
0: I'm, uh, I'm assuming some of the earlier data you're looking at is probably marked by success or failure in the treatment plan. And I'm thinking what you're doing now is it's going to say this po- this patient chose this for this reason. Did it work? Did it not? I assume the quality of the data is going to go up substantially.
1: That's true. It's a really good point. So in a lot of the, if you run a clinical trial that try to get a drug approved, then you pick a very specific outcome and you have two groups of people and you make them as similar as you can and you try them on the different groups randomly and then you see what, see if there's a change in that outcome from one group to the other. It's a really limited view of that patient experience when you're only collecting like that one really tiny outcome, that really one specific thing. It's good if you want to show that a drug does something, but it's not necessarily good if you want to capture a whole patient's experience and then use that for decision making. That's the other reason why I'm excited about the Physio Project is, they have a very holistic view of their patient's quality of life, um, which is sort of part and parcel of being a physio. Just uh, expand on that, what do you mean by a holistic view? I mean that, they, have, they never try to reduce the success of their patients down to a single number. They are thinking about all kinds of different things about what has been the journey of this patient from when they first got here to where they are now. Even things like, you know, what can they do every day? Can they get to the bathroom? Can they go to the store? Can they climb stairs? Can they, do you know what I mean? Like there is, the, the, the outcome of a course of physio treatment is a really complex, Thing. and they are they're used to thinking that way they're used to not reducing outcomes down to something that's really simple so so we get along really well in our sort of conversations and the way we think about um, successful treatment so that's been it's been really nice to sort of have that common ground with them even though we come from really different backgrounds
0: That's cool because I think in athletics you kind of see that more exclusively this day-to-day routine these updates what they can do but I mean if every person's getting that, I think that's going to improve the quality of treatment a lot. One of the most interesting things for me about this topic is just the organizing and cataloging ability of AI. And you're looking at an absurd amount of indo- individual data stacked on top of one another. How does it go about prioritizing each person's values? And then how does it look at short term versus long term versus even middle term?
1: They incorporate everything we know about Henry up to this point, so it'd be like your entire EMR. and It's the values that you have, and it's knowing that you're going to come back and see us in two weeks, and so we could make a different decision at that time, which is really important for treatments where sometimes you have treatments that are like really intense, but not everybody needs them. So if you're always reasoning not just about everything you know about the patient, which is sometimes what they call precision medicine, but also reasoning about... We're going to be able to change our minds in two weeks if things don't go well. If that's the case, it naturally leads to recommendations like, okay, here's a treatment that is probably going to be pretty good, the side effects aren't too bad, Uh, it may work, it may not. And then after two weeks pass, you reevaluate and you may up that to something that's more intense. This is something that doctors do already naturally all the time, which is one of the reasons I really like these methods that have this temporal aspect. They have this long-term reasoning aspect to them. When they take data and they reason about them to help support a decision, they do it in a way that results in the same kinds of things that would naturally happen if you were talking with your doctor. It's just that those recommendations may come from, they might be based on a database of like 100,000 patients who look like you. So it's a way of really bringing that volume of data that speaks to how people respond to different treatments and bringing that into decision making, into practice, in a way that's like natural, that encompasses the values that patients and docs have, and that acknowledges the idea that this isn't the only decision we're gonna make, we're gonna make more decisions in the future. So it really leads to kind of natural, evidence-based decision support. We have artificial intelligence systems using data, recommending or making decisions, and we wanna be able to understand like why, why are they doing that? And historically you know there have been people in computer science who have cared about that to a certain degree but now I think there's a critical mass of researchers who are really recognizing that that's important and, and there's a community that's building right now in explainable AI that I think is going to be really important for uh, making sure that artificial intelligence methods make good contributions to science and health and social science and humanities and, and all these other fields as we go forward.
0: Right, it's not Hollywood. It's not Hollywood,
1: oh my gosh, no. it's not Hollywood. In
0: reality, artificial intelligence and medical services won't lessen our input on how we choose to fight injuries or illnesses, but will just help us choose more carefully and more cognizantly. I'm Henry Standage signing out. Thanks for listening.